Welcome back to The Breakdown with me, NLW. It's a daily podcast on macro, Bitcoin, and the big picture power shifts remaking our world. The Breakdown is sponsored by Crypto.com, Nexo.io, and Elliptic, and produced and distributed by Coindesk. What's going on, guys? It is Saturday, October 3rd, and that means it's time for the Breakdown Weekly Recap. However, because it is the first Saturday of the month, instead of the weekly recap, we're going to do the monthly recap. September was an interesting transitional moment. You had a real sense of almost in-betweenness or liminality creep into the major discourse, and moreover creep into the sentiment. And what I mean by that is that you had seen a summer where we were charging back after the spring's COVID-19-related shutdowns, but the fall was starting to hit a different note. On the one hand, that had to do with the fear of a rise or a return or a second wave of COVID-19. On the other, it just had to do with the end of the easy phase of a recovery where the jobs that were coming back were much harder won, not just the things that had been lost immediately in the short term. Layer on top of that the fear or nervousness or just general lack of clarity that comes with a presidential election, and you had the right sort of mixture for a big question mark, let's say. My guests in September, I think, articulated from a macro perspective a lot of that in betweenness with a special emphasis on the immobility, really, of the Federal Reserve, this central actor in the economic system we've constructed, to actually move and change things, both in the short term and in the long term. Let's kick our conversation off where we kicked off September as a month with Luke Groman. In this clip, he gives us a clear-eyed look at the options from here, with the here being a debt burden that we can't possibly pay back. To me, the punchline is that if you look back over the last 100, 120 years, anytime you get sovereign debt levels as high as they are now in the U.S. and more broadly across the developed world, there's, there's four outcomes 100% of the time. It's restructuring slash default, it's inflation, it's financial repression, or it's hyperinflation. That's it. Those are your choices. And so if we can assume that the United States is not going to restructure or default its treasuries, which I think is pretty safe, we can set that one aside. Uh, historically, and this ties into the political reform side, or excuse me, political courage side, uh, and lack thereof, if we were going to reform entitlements in the United States, the time to have done so was prior to 2008, because post-2008, after you bailed out the banking system, you made it politically impossible for all intents and purposes to uh, reform entitlements because you can't cut payments to, to retirees after you've bailed out Wall Street. Uh, and even if that was maybe theoretically possible up until now with what we're seeing happen across cities in the United States uh, this year, I, I think the ability to restructure uh, those that portion of our obligations is gone. So now you're left with inflation, uh, financial repression, which is, I would lump in with inflation, it's just another form of it, or hyperinflation. And so when I sort of break it down that way, or, or it's different this time, it, this will be the first time in 120 to 200 years that you've got a massive amount of sovereign debt, and it somehow doesn't result in one of those four. Um, I, I suppose that is possible. There are ways it is possible. Uh, 
but I think it's a very minimal chance. And so that ties back into the tweet that you're referring to where I, I think we're in a transitional period. I think Powell's speech represents, I guess, if we think about it as, as you know, trying to, to, to swing from one trapeze to the next, I think he's, this speech was maybe either preparing to let go of one trapeze or actually letting go of one trapeze and trying to grab the next one. Uh, and you know, hopefully he doesn't miss it. Macro analyst Tavi Costa picked up the same theme of a certain inevitability of inflation based on the debt levels being where they are, but also discussed the assets most likely to benefit in that context. I think what a lot of people are missing, in my view, is more of the structural problems in the economy related to the debt uh, problems that we have in, in corporations and, and the government as well. I think there's no way out of this uh, aside from inflation. Uh, and the real question is, when are we going to see that kind of uh, that, that kind of response or consequences from the policies we've seen so far? Uh, I, I, I think that the Federal Reserve right now is, is, is painted into a corner in which it has to be continue to buy assets um, to prop up equity markets. It almost has two new mandates is, is to keep you know, valuations of equity markets afloat and at the same time suppress interest rates to continue uh, to, uh, you know, to allow companies to borrow at cheap prices and the government to also um, uh, borrow at cheap prices. And, and so I think this is all um, happening at the same, which I call this uh, a, um, it's a, it's a dynamic that we're seeing uh, in which is, is an explosive mix uh, for, for precious metals in general. It's a supercharged environment for precious metals in my view. Uh, and any monetary, uh, alter any alternative for the monetary system, which Bitcoin would be part of that too. This episode is brought to you by Crypto.com, the crypto super app that lets you buy, earn, and spend crypto all in one place and earn up to 8.5% per year on your Bitcoin. Download the Crypto.com app now to see the interest rates you could be earning on BTC and more than 20 other coins. Once in the app, you can apply for the Crypto.com Metal Card, which pays you up to 8% cash back instantly on all purchases. Reserve yours in the Crypto.com app today. In this crisis, many investors aim to keep and grow their digital assets. Others seek to maximize the yield on their cash. Nexo allows you to achieve exactly these two goals. The company offers instant crypto credit lines against all major cryptocurrencies, with interest rates starting from only 5.9% APR. Nexo also lets you earn up to 10% annually on your fiat and digital assets. What's more, interest is paid out daily, and you can add or withdraw funds at any time. Get started at nexo.io. For Northman trader founder Sven Henrik, the real issue is that investors have been trained not to take real economic plight seriously. In his estimation, this creates an ever-weakening market cycle. Well, that's that's what they've done. I mean, you, you can actually hear the Fed themselves using the word and Powell himself, you know, to calm markets. You know, that they, they, they hate volatility in the sense that it, you know, it reflects two-way price discovery. And you know, for, for the last 12 years, we, you know, we we've seen them step in. Every single correction there's ever been, the Fed has stepped in one way or the other, or obviously uh, global central banks as well. And, and you know, part of my complaint in general has been because they are now in a mode where they've been forced to adopt this stance, to, to constantly step in, to always be afraid, because that's really what this is all about. Um, the, the, they, 
they have a on the one hand trained investors to not ever take any corrections seriously nothing will last more than a few weeks right even in the march crash that we had they stepped in so hard you know december 2018 when we had that you know 20 drop on on the heels of the fed actually trying to raise rates and do reduce their balance sheet yeah as soon as markets dropped hard they stepped in and and stopped it right that's that's what they do and so investors have been trained not to take anything seriously and i understand and that's that's been working always keep buying the dip and so forth but the the perpetual machine that's been created <clears throat> as a result of that is that we we see these exorbitant market valuations uh, and i one of the metrics i've been using is market cap to gdp now you can argue about market cap to gdp based on you know, technology companies having a global footprint and so forth but what we've seen here in this run up here in september was insane we got to 187% market cap to gdp and so my my point is they are the perpetual bubble machine because they, they they're afraid they cannot take any volatility in markets and and they're afraid of I guess maybe the corner they box, box themselves into because as as soon as you get a right sizing of markets it has a negative impact on the economy and and since they constantly view themselves in the business of managing the economy via market and market trajectory you know we keep getting building ever larger bubbles not only on the asset valuation side but also on 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 the debt side because they they keep enabling it and that's my worry because we're we're ending up you know coming out of this crisis here not only with the largest market valuations ever but also the highest corporate debt and the highest you know financial debt in the US and that to me um is creating a ever weakening economic cycle and that's kind of confirmed is what we've seen in the last 20 years because yeah you know, we keep lowering rates and we raise them ever incrementally to lower highs and so the economy is zombifying itself right now obviously they have all these companies buying you know or they are buying junk debt of all these companies and they have all these companies these zombies companies running around that don't generate any profit or their debt obligations are higher than their than their profits so my critique has always been well are they actually doing any good here because you know it's it's the system never gets to cleanse itself properly real vision founder raul paul went even farther on the fed's immobility saying that monetary policy is over look americans are terrible at not looking outside of america but look at mark carney from the bank of england he resided over the bank of england for i don't know how many years 8 years 10 years never saw a rate rise but he can do anything and we have to get used to this monetary policy has finished yes can they tweak a bit of qe more but we know it doesn't really work so there's nothing they can do not until and we can talk about this later until we blend fiscal and monetary by the use of digital currencies particularly you know the fed coin for example not until we get to that day do the fed really have anything to do So their job now is just don't let anything blow up. If it blows up like the credit market, their job is to provide liquidity. But there's nothing else they can do anymore. So it's a world where there's no real point listening to the Fed. The Fed have told us very clearly they're not going to raise rates. I don't think they're going to raise rates ever again. You know, that could change if we structurally change how the economy's driven, you know, by centralized fiscal policy and, you know, universal basic income, maybe that changes. But if nothing changes, the fed are never going to raise rates again they can't because 
if you remember from the last time we went through the rate cycle, what happens is everyone puts more leverage on at the lower rates. So then you can't raise rates because you blow them all up. And if you just remember what's just happened in the last three months was record borrowings from corporates. So the leverage has just ratcheted up a whole level, another level at the lowest all-time rates, which makes it now impossible to raise rates. So if they were to raise them 100 basis points, the economy goes straight into recession. So yeah, the Fed meetings is a dead spectator sport. For newfound researchers Corey Hofstein, the issue isn't just the Fed. It's a convergence of factors including the Fed, the rise of passive investing, and the rise of the volatility trade, which together have the net impact of making markets move more aggressively on both the up and the downside. To summarize, really, the whole piece was trying to look through a lens of the markets that's ultimately about supply and demand, right? That If I were to really try to put it into, into one core idea, it's I'm not talking about the market as, is it overvalued? Is it undervalued? Is Fed policy right or wrong? Quite purely, I think all of these ideas come back to the core concept of what impact do they have on market supply and market demand? And when is there a meaningful mismatch? Either a mismatch that is building over time slowly and is, is bound to explode or a mismatch that occurs sort of instantaneously because of these different pressures. And I think for me, what I found is, again, it doesn't matter which of these narratives you look at, which one you have more confidence in, which one you have less confidence in. It's all creating the same supply demand mismatch that ultimately seems to be playing out when you get some sort of exogenous shock like we saw this March. When it comes to the implications of all of this that we've been discussing, debt, inflation, changing market cycles, at least one public company is trying to get out ahead of it. One of the biggest stories of the month was when MicroStrategy announced that they had moved 425 million of their cash reserves into Bitcoin. CEO Michael Saylor explains here. It seems to me, as a casual observer, that you could estimate the asset inflation rate starting in March for the next five years at 20% a year, 25% a year. That's, that's the, the, the cost of capital. And um, you are now, if you're sitting on top of a uh, billion dollars, you're gonna take a $200 million hit per year. How many companies can generate $200 million in after-tax income per year to cover the hole that they're digging in the ground? So, that, so that's my journey, right? That's, that's, it wasn't important until it was important. And then when it got important, it got really important. And then, I, as I said before, I just came to this horrifying realization I was sitting on a $500 million ice cube and it was melting at least 10% a year, but probably 20% a year. 10% a year is magic, by the way, because we're making, you know, we're thinking we're going to generate 50 million in after tax or, or cash flow and we're going to put it in the bank. And if you're going to melt 50 million of my treasury while I put 50 million in the bank for the next decade, I might as well just write off the decade as a lost decade. I watch these crypto Twitter guys and they look at what we just did and they're like, oh, what happens when they dump it? Like they bought all this Bitcoin, that's bearish. They might sell it and that'll be bad for the market. Or when is he going to sell it? If it goes down by 5%, is he going to like lose interest? And I think they don't get it 
I bought it for the next hundred years. I didn't buy it to sell it ever. Of course, now here we are in October. Election volatility was already a thing, and then President Trump announced late Thursday night, early Friday morning, that he had been diagnosed with COVID-19, throwing an entire new set of questions around this election. Given that, it's basically impossible to tell what will happen over the course of the next month, but you know we'll be here keeping track of it. So until then, thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, I really appreciate all the ratings and reviews. And until tomorrow, guys, be safe and take care of each other. Peace.